I'm a recently minted business owner, having run B2B Better full-time since January 2023. And while I've supported countless sales outreach campaigns during my career as an in-house marketer, it wasn't until I started doing my own sales that I realized just how much thinking has to go into running an effective prospecting campaign. That's why I found SoPro's State of Prospecting 2023 report so useful. It's an up-to-date, practical guide on how to get the most from your outreach campaigns. It shares tips on how to improve deliverability rates, craft the perfect subject line, and what an effective follow-up campaign looks like, plus much, much more. And unlike a lot of B2B research reports that I come across, this one is grounded in real-world data, drawing on a data set of 49.5 million sent emails and insights from interviews with over 350 sales and marketing professionals from 82 different industries. If you touch prospecting in your business in any capacity, from owning campaigns to supporting sales, this is a must-read report. I highly recommend checking it out. Just head over to sopro.io forward slash B2B better and upskill yourself today. I'll also drop the link to the report in the description of this episode. Paddle Studios, it's a collection of original content that helps you build better SaaS businesses. That is Andrew Davies, Chief Marketing Officer over at Paddle, the company that takes care of payments infrastructure for thousands of SaaS businesses. And he's telling me a little bit about their recent venture, Paddle Studios, a Netflix-esque media operation that the company has just launched, which hosts a suite of well-produced, highly targeted, business-focused content that spans across both education and entertainment. So one of our theses as a, as, as a business paddle is that we want to be the most helpful brand in SaaS. And we see a pretty significant portion of the SaaS, SaaS industry via our metrics product or via our core billing, billing platform. And if we can help software founders grow better, smarter, safer, um, then we know that they'll grow faster, but also the portion of the, of the software universe that we serve and we help monetize will be able to grow faster too. And so the genuine desire with Paddle Studios is a fewfold, but it comes from the desire to be helpful and help founders see around the corners of growth. Um, when I was a software founder, you get focused on the things that are right in front of you, um, that next customer or building that next that next team member, the next hire or solving that problem that's happening in engineering or finance. And so often you're fighting fires as they come along day by day. And what we're trying to do with Paddle Studios is help software founders see around the corners to the champagne problems of growth, the problems that only come when you do start growing. And we want to make, shed a light on them, give frameworks of how you can understand them, um, and make sure that people are able to scale their businesses more seamlessly. Now, there's a whole bunch of other thinking that we can dive into about how we do that, but that's really the core thesis, to be helpful. And dive into that we shall. Over the next 20 minutes or so, I'm going to be talking with Andrew about why the company is investing so much time, attention, and money into building out its own media operation, how it's going about doing that, and how other existing consumer-focused streaming services inspired the launch of Paddle Studios. So for the bulk of my career, I've worked in the media sector, specifically OTT video streaming. I got my first job outside of university selling a research product to broadcasters who were thinking about launching their own online video services. 
Um, and I remember, you know, when Netflix really wasn't that big of a deal, right? Um, yes, it had a large domestic customer base, but it hadn't really expanded internationally. And the company I worked for at the time when I was selling this research product, you know, we had a trade journal as well. And I started writing for the trade journal, which is how I kind of got into marketing. And, you know, I spent a lot of time looking at streaming services and, and I've seen them evolve over the years from very simple kind of carousel, row-based um, uh, user experiences, action content in one row, comedy content in another, to these super highly personalized interactive machines that are designed at every level to keep you hooked and engaged um, with that service. Now, when I look at Paddle Studios, I kind of am reminded of that kind of beginning stage of my career where I'm looking at a service that from a content, from a branding, from a user experience point of view, looks like an early Netflix. Now that's a really exciting concept because I think anyone listening to this podcast will have seen and experienced their fair share of dull, dry, boring B2B content that's just being pumped out to hit some sort of volume metric. With Paddle Studios, we see a company that is taking very, very seriously its investment into creating high-quality edutainment. It features branded episodic content like Protect the Hustle, which reveals the truth behind the strategy and tactics of B2B SaaS growth. Verticals, which is a deeper look into how SaaS pioneers are created. And Pricing Page Teardown, a guide to winning the market through monetization strategies. Now, some of those names sound familiar to you. They should be because Protect the Hustle and Pricing Page Teardown were conceived and developed and made famous through ProfitWell, the company that Paddle bought for $200 million uh, about a year, 18 months ago. And when I look at Paddle Studios, I see a continuation of the work that Patrick Campbell, former CEO of ProfitWell, now CSO of Paddle and his team, began whilst at ProfitWell, pushing back this idea of boring content and the creation of something that has a home in the minds of their prospective customers, whether it's sitting at your desk between the nine till five or on an iPad on the couch when you've clocked off for the day. Now, the question I wanted to hear Andrew answer first and foremost was how much of an inspiration did existing streaming services, your Netflixes, your Amazon Primes, your HBO Maxes, inspire the team when it came to the creation of paddle studios here he is yeah loads of inspiration and it's not just um thinking about what they present through their interface it's also thinking about what is the normal user behavior with those platforms now because you know amazingly about technology is it's so pervasive that it changes our expectations our habits and our behaviors and you know Netflix, as your example here, has such a wide followership and such a wide user base that it forms the expectations of people in every other part of their life. And if you're turning up to yet another boring software company's webinar, um, it, it pales into in comparison to what you're seeing on Netflix. And so, yeah, those 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 platforms definitely set a standard for us. Um, and I think the notion of followership here is really important. The notion of subscription. 
because by producing episodic formats, what we're trying to do is make sure there's an, an, a need and a desire to keep coming back for more of that series, keep coming back more of series that are like it. Um, and so what we're trying to do here is not have a process where it's almost like the ebook model where you have one massive spike as people kind of read the ebook and then it all falls off and you've got to create another campaign, create another piece of content, but that actually you can get stacking. You can start stacking episodes on episodes and build some followership around the shows and around studios as the house for those shows. I often hear B2B marketers say that the industry is becoming more like B2C. And I think what we just heard is that in practice, how the team at Paddle examined and researched the business of a consumer-facing application and applied some of the best practices to their own proposition. When you adopt this mindset, it opens up a whole host of really interesting and exciting questions on how we run our content marketing strategy. For example, when it comes to distribution, Netflix isn't just sending out an email when it launches a new show. It's investing in really high-profile advertising activation. Or what about monetization? How do we create something so good that people won't just be willing to pay for it, but they'd be willing to pay a monthly subscription fee like Netflix for continued access to that content. This is something that I raised with Andrew. Here's what he had to say. I guess firstly, what I find super interesting is that media has incredible data and frameworks around how to gain attention and how to gain usership and followership but it's got a pretty poor monetization model, as you said. Um, software has the opposite. It's got an incredible, the world's best monetization model. Um, net dollar retention that keeps increasing if you do it well. Uh, low churn if you do it well and provide a valuable service. Usage-based pricing means that you scale with the customers you're serving. Um, and then you've got long lifetime value if all of those things are true. But historically i think many software companies have been really poor at gaining attention and so what we're trying to do here is merge the best of both of those two um, to get you know use media tactics media strategies in order to you know, gain attention and gain followership and gain subscription and then to use software monetization models in order to, to provide that monetization so there might well be a world in which some of our content we do ask for some kind of fee from in the future I think you know, there, there are definitely some thought experiments that are going on around that rather than practical experiments right now. We definitely feel that for some of our more practical content, as we serve it to our customers, we will see them grow faster as as they read, understand, learn, watch those tactics and implement them in their businesses. And Paddle has a take rate on all of our underlying customers. And so if they go faster, we grow faster. And then finally, I think about this really in, in the brand and demand investments as well, in that if you are not making brand investments, you're paying the price in your customer acquisition cost every quarter for, for an infinite portion of time. You know, If you're not investing in how you're perceived, in how many people know and understand you, if you're not investing in building a bigger pool of warm prospects who know and understand and trust you in the future, then all you're doing is stacking up increased investment you'll have to make in your go-to-market and your in your brand in your demand investments. And so, you know, that's another way I think about this is that we are paying it forward and we're investing in uh, followership and audience that will sustain our company in the future because of the trust we've built with these prospects that we might well sell to in the future. Um, so that's two ways that we're thinking about it. Um, and I, d I do think it's really worth noting that 
in the in the, in the software space in the world that we live in um that monetization you know that attention and monetization trade-off happens across every different um interaction you know so we're running events we don't charge for our events but they cost a lot of money but if we've got people who are coming along to our dinner um now you know if we've got a bunch of software founders meeting in austin like we did a couple of weeks ago or barcelona or amsterdam like we did a month ago um i'm over in Cluj in a couple of weeks time we'll be hosting one of those dinners for people over there um you know that again costs money we're not charging for that but what we're building is trust camaraderie relationship reciprocity um you know and learning mutual learning which i believe sows into the future of what we're doing now we do not have a board or an exco that are holding me to account on an attribution attribution model behind those investments. And if we were, I think we would struggle to make some of those same investments. And one of the reasons of joining Paddle and you know Christian, our CEO at that time, is now our executive chairman and the, and the exco here joining this business was because there was ambition around making these type of investments. Um, and so, yes, we've got to build that attribution. We've got to think about distribution. We've got to think about impact and success, as you've asked. Um, but I strongly believe that what we're doing has a close enough link to our core products and helping our customers grow and helping prospects understand us that that's going to play through. Like almost anyone listening to this podcast, I get a ton of outreach emails, people trying to pitch a guest spot, trying to sell me software, inviting me to an event. There is a lot of noise to filter through. It's not that the message isn't relevant most of the time. It's often that I'm just busy and replying slips down my to-do list. My friends over at SoPro analyzed almost 50 million prospecting emails and found that 70% of people give up if their first outreach email goes unanswered. And this means that they could be losing out on up to 76% of total leads. So what does the ideal prospecting sequence look like? It's four emails, the intro, the nudge, the referral, and the breakup. You can learn exactly what goes into these four emails and exactly how to reply when a prospect gets back to you with an objection by downloading SoPro's State of Prospecting 2023 report. Check it out by visiting sopro.io forward slash B2B better or clicking the link in the description of this episode. What this ultimately comes down to is this idea of building an owned audience, having a one-to-one relationship with your prospective customers, with existing customers, and with partners. And there is a really sound logic for doing this. The world is changing. New content formats have emerged. B2B buyers do a lot of their own research independently, where previously they relied on vendors and specifically the sales team within those vendors to guide them along that journey. We're moving into a cookie-less future where it's going to become increasingly more difficult to retarget traffic on various borrowed platforms. And we're seeing a aversion to risk when it comes to building huge audiences on borrowed land on social media for reasons that we could spend a whole episode going into cough, Twitter, cough. But it's not enough simply to create content. You have to create content that people care about. And this is more easily done 
when adopting a media mindset. Thinking like traditional broadcasters and programmers on how they build their audiences and taking those principles and applying them to your own production. So on the next part of this interview, I wanted to dive into the details with Andrew on exactly how they're building out Paddle Studios. And it started with a question on who are they hiring? Marketers that they're retraining to think like media professionals or media professionals that they're training to think like marketers? Yeah, I mean, most of those, uh, most of that team will come um, from a non-software background. And you know they are passionate about creating and telling fantastic stories, and so we're just applying that to software. If we think about that documentary, this is a documentary that Paddle and Profitwell produced, uh, telling the story of the acquisition process. You can watch it yourself on Paddle Studios. It's called "We Sign Tomorrow Inside a Tech Acquisition." Um, the exec producer of that was a friend of mine, Pitt Piper, who's an award-winning independent documentary filmmaker. This was the first thing he'd done in software, but he's made some killer stuff uh, in other sectors. I think his, his last big thing before this was an award-winning um, documentary around the closing down of record stores in the UK, uh, working with mov- uh, music producers and top artists and going into record stores around the UK. Um, so I think the storytelling capability is actually of paramount importance there rather than um, detailed SaaS knowledge. What I do think is super interesting is because of the rise of people seeing how this could work and the, the quality bar going up and up, is there are more SaaS natives, uh, people who've been in this industry or have been building companies or part of companies that are building, um, who are blending, you know, perhaps side hobbies um, in video and editing into their day job. And that's really exciting when you can bring both of those to bear. Okay, so we've got a room full of storytellers that are applying their creative skill sets into creating content for SaaS companies and SaaS founders. I get that. How are we actually coming up with ideas? What does that process look like? We've got a really creative team. So um, we've got a uh, and we've got a creative team as well as a wider, really creative team. Um, so Dan Callahan, who runs Paddle um, Studios, who, who's our head of creative. Um, so he's got a, a team of producers who each carry a show or two um, as their their remit. And uh, when we've had an idea and it's built up and we've got a full show running, then they're responsible for the ongoing execution of it. I think to your question, the really interesting thing is how do we come up with those ideas? Um, firstly, it's about making sure all the people involved in that understand our customer and are constantly given customer insight. Um, because actually the people who are doing that show production, they're usually not from a software background. They're from a you know, more arts background and that you know, creativity is their home territory, script writing and filming and production editing, etc. And so it's giving them understanding of our, our customers and the issues that they solve, the issues we solve, the issues they face. That's the first piece is making sure there's a genuine sense of customer empathy there. Then secondly, um, we run some pitch processes. So that team will jump on calls and put ideas into the hopper and rip them apart and come up with formats and uh, you know, basically gather around the table and think through which ones of these might work and might not work. Um, and then they get wider company input. So other people throw ideas into the mix and, um, and they look at them and they also expose ideas back to the rest of the company. And getting feedback from teams like sales is really important in that process because they're speaking to customers and prospects all day, every day. And so, yeah, there's this process of, of pitching an idea and then we go to a pilot 
I mean, that pilot is produced. And um, if that goes down well internally, uh, then we start structuring the next few episodes of production. And that episodic format, we do these things one off as well, but that episodic format is really essential because of that concept of stacking. Once you've got the, the idea and the format and you've got something you think works, then rinse and repeating that another 10 times or 20 times is where the real magic happens because you get better at it every single time. The customer, the user, the audience member starts to understand what they're seeing and the value they can get from it. Um, and that's where you build the followership around a specific show. Now, I counted five steps there. One, customer insights. Two, pitching process. Three, run a pilot. Four, if it goes well, start to create and produce more episodes. And five, evolve and iterate over time. Now, I think it would be easy for someone listening to this podcast to think, well, Paddle are a multi, multi-million dollar business. Of course, they can go out there and they can run this media operation. What do I do as an early stage startup? Well, you don't need super high production quality equipment. You don't need teams of producers. You don't need to have what is in effect a writer's room pitching ideas. All of these concepts collecting customer insights, running a pitching process, producing a pilot, uh, creating multiple episodes, evolution and iteration. These are principles that can be applied to any stage of business. You don't need huge budgets, huge resources to have a media-first mindset. If you are an early-stage company, if you are a marketer working in an early-stage company and you need to sell this idea into a CFO, don't go into it with the ask of thousands and thousands of dollars needing to be committed to get started if you have a quality microphone a quality camera you can get started straight away and you will very quickly understand what is and isn't working i think what's also most important when you are adopting this kind of strategy is to be crystal clear on what success looks like for many This will be a leading indicator, something like subscribers to your newsletter to show that you're capturing that attention and then you're building it an opportunity to continue nurturing that one-to-one relationship with your prospective audience. I asked Andrew to share a couple of thoughts on how he's thinking about success when it comes to Paddle Studios. And I really loved his answer because what you'll notice is he doesn't talk about tying it back to pipeline or revenue, though undoubtedly it will contribute to the generation of pipeline and revenue over the long term. There is a a portion of the software universe that we serve with all of our products, which is the the product-led software universe. So people are selling via a checkout. That's our home territory, our home territory, or companies that are selling via a hybrid method. So not just salespeople, but also through a checkout, through a product-led motion too. So if you're selling subscription software, and that's your main go-to-market motion. And ideally, if you are selling from a small domestic market into the rest of the world, we have a very strong value proposition. So we know and understand the number of accounts that make up that portion of the market. And our job with Paddle Studios and the success for Paddle Studios is to make sure that we are entertaining, educating, inspiring that subset of the market. Obviously, we want wider followership and readership. But when we think about our go-to-market, I don't really mind whether the first interaction with Paddle is a rep picking up a phone to a software founder or them coming to a webinar or meeting us in an event or them watching Protect the Hustle or downloading an episode of uh, of Churning Point or Pricing Page Teardown on Paddle Studios. 
all of those things, as long as they're being valuable to that prospect of ours, that that person who's in the industry trying to build their software company, then I'm really happy with any of those as a first touch point. Um, and I believe that there is much more ability for us to touch many more people through our episodic formats via Paddle Studios than there is via you know our self-serve kind of motion or our outbound BDR and sales motion. And so, yeah, I want everybody in our portion of the, of the world to understand uh, who we are because of getting value from that content. And more than that, I want it to resonate. You know, our standard for this is that we want it to be stuff that people will watch on a Saturday morning, not just while they're at work. Um, and so we want to make sure that it's really quality and it cuts through and it stands alongside Netflix, et cetera, that they'll genu genuinely watch it outside of work because they're passionate about the mission they're on to build their software company. So that's what success looks like. And obviously there's measures that sit underneath that, um, but that's that's where we're going with it. To round off this interview, I asked Andrew a question on an interesting idea I saw when they announced Paddle Studios which was this concept of allowing people outside of the paddle business to pitch new ideas that could ultimately lead into being created as shows that would sit within the network. That was really interesting to me. The creator economy, B2B influencers, you know, these are trends that as an industry we're currently trying to navigate. There are growing examples of tech companies hiring uh, individuals with large social media followings to come on as full-time creators. I had one of them on my podcast not too long ago, a guy called Will Aitken. Uh, he now works for Lavender as their full-time in-house content creator. So this idea of being able to leverage the wider community to fuel the content production of Paddle Studios was really interesting to me. In fact, it reminded me of Netflix because the vast majority of content that you see on Netflix, even if it's branded as a Netflix original, isn't actually Netflix-produced content. They're working with third-party studios, licensing the content, and then branding it as their own. So it was a similar kind of approach, I thought, when I saw it at Paddle Studios. So I wanted to get from Andrew an idea on exactly why they are adopting this approach rather than keeping everything in-house. Um, I'm glad you picked up on that. <laughs> a lot of people didn't. Um, as in, when you just come to Paddle Studios as a, as a website, paddle.com slash studios, you just see the output. Um, there's a couple of things that are sitting behind that. Firstly, you know, we genuinely believe that none of us are as smart as all of us. And so if we if we widen that tent of people who are thinking up these things and coming up with ideas, there'll be better ideas. So that's the first general principle. Um, and often, I think the more interesting ideas do come from outside of what can be you know, a reasonably focused set of, of discussions and concepts around what we do. Um, I think better ideas come from it. Then secondly, you've got that idea of partnership here where we genuinely, as we go forwards over the next you know, next couple of years with Paddle Studios, I would imagine there'll be an increasing number of shows that will be partnered, maybe not with other companies, although that might happen, but partnered with individuals, individuals who have a concept, an idea, a show, maybe their own followership. Um, maybe they're indie hackers in their own rights or consultants or thought leaders or influencers in some area. And we can bring to bear a whole bunch of storytelling, script writing, production capabilities to help them tell that story more effectively. And we can be a platform for their voice. 
and so that you know those are the two sides of it um and yeah we're, we're currently just in review on a bunch of the ideas i haven't had a time to dug, dig into them yet but the team have um and i'm really hopeful there'll be a couple coming out of that that we can actually run the whole way through the process as an example i think often in the early stages of doing something like that the model you create is more important than the first lot of output. It's the learning process you go through, the fact you've done it, and the fact that someone can see you followed it through to conclusion. And if we can do that a couple of times through this first launch um, and the ideas we got back from it, then I'll be really happy because that will just set a model working that we can use in the future. The idea of a B2B tech company thinking like a media company or investing in parts of its business becoming a media company is not new. There's been plenty of examples of it happening over the last four or five years with HubSpot buying the Hustle newsletter to MailChimp buying the Courier bi-monthly print magazine to, yes, Paddle buying ProfitWell. And I'm a firm believer that we are only going to see a continued uh, investment from B2B tech companies in the either acquisition or development of their own media production arms. This is different to inbound marketing. This isn't about creating SEO optimized blog posts that lead to downloadable white papers so we can capture email addresses and then send them a bunch of uh, unsolicited uh, sales emails. This is about positioning ourselves as businesses that enable our prospective customers to self-educate. Because the reality is that your customers are spending far less time talking to you and your competitors to get the answers they need than they did 10 years ago. The B2B brands that will not only survive but thrive well into the future are the ones like Paddle that commit to a media-first mindset and the creation of a community of sales-ready prospects through free, no-strings-attached, high-quality content. And that's it for this episode of B2B Better. A huge thanks again to my guest, Andrew Davey, CMO of Paddle, for contributing so many amazing insights on building a media-first marketing operation. And thank you to my friends over at SoPro for sponsoring this episode of B2B Better. If you enjoyed what you heard, please, please, please leave a rating, a review, subscribe in your podcast platform of choice. It really means a lot for a small-time creator like myself. I've been spending a lot of time recently working with B2B brands on building out their own media-first strategies through the launch of branded shows. So if you're interested in learning more about that and booking a free 60-minute brainstorming session on how you can use a branded show to drive pipeline, drive revenue, build up the profiles of your key executives, grow your thought leadership potential, then you can click the link in the description of this episode. But for now, thank you very much and see you next time.